Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. I just had an opportunity to talk to John Capitan. He's the CEO at Capstone Medical, capstonemedical.com. Check it out. They do a lot of work uh, in design, development, manufacturing, quality, and, and regulatory submissions as well. So uh, as John put it, they're a product realization company, and they try to cover uh, all those different aspects. But one of the topics that, or the big topic that John and I spoke about was the difference between knowing and doing as a medical device professional. And we talk about you know, a few things a lot of quality of related items, and really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And joining me today is John Capitan. John is the CEO at Capstone Medical, and we thought we would explore this topic today of the difference between knowing and doing, and we'll unpack that a, a whole bunch here in a few moments. But John, I guess give folks a little bit of a background about who you are and and, and your journey so far in this medical device world. Absolutely. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. My background is really all over the board. I started as a product development engineer with a mechanical engineering background about, gosh, more years ago than I care to, to <laughs> confess, but at least 25, put it that way. And so I've been in the med device space for about 25 years now, a little over that. I had roles in product development, in regulatory, in quality, overlapping in manufacturing, and have worked with companies big to small, literally you know, one or two people all the way up to some of the biggest companies in our industry. About 13 years ago, I started Capstone Medical as a consulting firm for the med device industry that really was meant to be a single source provider. So it was in some ways building on those experiences I had in all of those different areas and trying to put that all together for companies to allow them to produce products, to get them on the market and do it in a way that really met or exceeded quality requirements and of course, regulatory compliance. Sure. Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about Capstone uh, throughout the conversation, but we'll get into some more depth and detail on the types of products and services that your company provides here in a little bit. And I'm honored that you and and the Capstone Medical Team are uh, partners of Greenlight Guru. You've been with us in that strategic relationship now for many, many years. And it's been exciting to see (laughs) some of the companies that you're incubating, you know, make it to that next major milestone and, and that sort of thing. But let's dive into the difference between knowing and doing. And I guess I'll kind of set the stage a little bit. You know, I too have a similar uh, career background. You've got me by a couple of years. I'm I'm only about th- 23 years in, but product development, quality, regulatory, those are you know areas where where I've been very fortunate and left. I have uh, a lot of opportunities to explore. But you know, it's one of those things. And I'll, I'll I guess I'll start it with this story. Uh, there was a time early in my career as a product development engineer. Let's see, this probably would have been let's call it late 90s, maybe early 2000s. And at that point, the FDA regulations around design control were still pretty new. I think we 13485 had already been released too. But this whole idea of design controls was a head scratcher for a lot of people. And for me, it just made 
sense. And, you know, and I, I can look back on it now. I'm like, oh, well, it made mm-hmm. sense because I'm, I'm more of a system kind of engineer. I think about process and order of operation, that sort of thing. But I received accolades and promotions within the company because of my organization and my grasp of the topic of design controls. So for me, I thought, oh, well, everyone understands this. And then I realized they don't. Not everyone knows this. So I guess I didn't really phrase it in the form of a question, but let's dive in there and, and see where we go. Absolutely. So my experience is, is all over the board with people's view of quality. And when I, when I say quality, when I speak about quality, a lot of people just dive right to it's a whole set of procedures and forms I got to fill out and this and that. And it's almost like this kind of pessimistic negative view right off the bat. And, and I think when I look at quality, much like yourself and you described your early career, it, it's really more a mindset. You know, I want to do the right thing. I know I can learn because I don't know everything and there's probably better ways to do this, more, you know, more efficient ways, more effective ways to do this. And if we could just codify this in a way that our company is doing it the same way every time, this is just going to help us with our, our, our I like, like to say, our business problem to solve. It's not just about quality. Quality has, it's a, it's a broad term, right? It touches lots of areas of a business. But, you know, it, it's something that's often overlooked because I think people just have this, this idea in their head that it's, it's defensive, it's not offensive, it's a cost center, it's going to slow me down, I'm not going to get to market as fast, or I'm going to have to raise more money because now we have this expensive system or whatever it is. There's just so many, I think, perceptions about quality out there, especially in, early on in my career, that, you know, just overcoming those, those negative perceptions and really sitting down and understanding what quality was and how it could help. I think it was a bit of a challenge in a conversation I had back then. Quite frankly, we're still having it today with lots and lots of people. I was describing this before, before we, we you know, as we started talking, and and I, it's almost like people fall into different buckets with this whole uh, issue yeah. of quality and, and kind of knowing what the right thing to do versus doing it would be. Um, the, on, the, on the one side, I think people are ignorant, and I don't use that in a, in a you know necessarily a negative way. It's just that let's face it, we're all doing a lot of things, and if quality is not your role. Uh, you're not necessarily going to be on top of what um, what good practice is, what best practices for quality, or what quality requirements are from FDA or um, you know overseas where you're dealing with other regulatory bodies. And so you, you know you may be ignorant of, of of just what to do and how to do it, and that's that's okay. Yeah. Um, I guess you can argue that you probably shouldn't be a medical device company if you're really that ignorant about it. But I have seen my fair share. Um, I think at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that are um, almost outwardly antagonistic. To be honest with you, that you know, I know what to do, but I'm going to choose not to do it because of a variety of reasons. Don't have time, don't have money, don't have the right people. So we're just going to kind of close our eyes and ignore that for, for a while. And then it usually catches up. And then I think you've got the biggest bucket of people in the middle, which are, you know, you might call the apathetic ones, which is, okay, I kind of know what to do, or I, you know, I've been told what to do. And someone's been speaking in my ear for many years. But, and I, and I know I, I want to do the right thing by the patient and of course by any regulatory body and by my investors and, and my company and myself, but for a variety of reasons, I just don't, uh, I can't prioritize it right now. So we'll get to it. We're just going to push it down the road a little bit. We're going to kind of roll the ball down the road until, until we really need to focus on it. That kind of gamut, those, those three, if we can put people into broad categories, it's those three categories that I've run into uh, the most as far as their view of quality as it relates to the organization. Yeah, I find myself nodding my head as you describe those. And, and let's let's talk a little bit about the largest bucket, the apathetic one. And, you know, 
I think this is, I don't want to say it's isolated to, but it's definitely seems to be more prevalent maybe in smaller and, and startup companies. You know, mm-hmm. they, it's almost like they know they don't know in some respects, or they know enough to be dangerous, but it's not, I mean, sometimes the quality work, it's the blocking and, and tackling. It's, it's not glamorous sometimes, you know, it's just, sometimes it's just, it's just core basic stuff. And, and I guess I'll bring it back to, to some of my experience as a product development engineer, it's fascinating and exciting to, to build prototypes. It's fascinating to, to design components and parts and pieces and, and figure out how these things are going to go together and then, you know, do the, the destructive test. I mean, that's fun, right? But writing, uh, (laughs) writing good requirements or, or even doing a risk assessment is like, Oh my gosh, this is not fun. And, and I think, people have that sort of approach and they know that they need to do it, but it's not either not fun or it's not glamorous or it's perceived to your point of, that it's, it's a burden. It's an obstacle. It's time consuming and, and it doesn't have value. And it's like, eh, I'll do it later. And I've, I've seen a lot of startups make this mistake that they, they push those things like design mm-hmm. controls, a design history file and good documentation and risk management activities. They push it off saying, Oh, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. They get to a regulatory submission, like a 510K or, or whatever the case may be. They get the clearance. They go to market. They never go back and do it. It's like, oh, my gosh. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, John. It's, and that's why I say it's more of a mindset. I mean, to me, at the beginning of quality, is common sense, right? It's not procedures. It's common sense. It's how would you do this if you were going to have this device put in you know, your own body or, or, or your, your, your family members. And then from there, it moves into best practices and then documentation, or like I say, codification of those practices. And I see way too many small companies doing that. And and you're right. I think as a development engineer myself, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's exciting to build something. It's exciting to destroy something and, uh, and, and kind of see how it performs. Um, but the other mistake that, or, or reasons I should say for, for people being apathetic about it is really, m- I think, much more pragmatic on a business standpoint, which is, look, we're on a runway here. And if we don't get raised a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time and get this product out the door and get it patented, there is no business. So yeah. why would I care about quality, right? So it's, you know, investors often, I will say not always, but often, want to talk about, right? The, the things that move the needle in valuation. <laughs> it's how they're going to achieve an exit strategy. Or if you're not going to exit, how you're going to build a big business quickly, right? And that is, when can I get my product? Is it going to pass testing? Is it going to get a regulatory clearance? And can I get a patent on it? And of course, there's sales marketing and all of that. But as far as the kind of the traditional technical quality, you know, related areas, a quality system is one of the last things they think about. For the reasons I mentioned before, right? We either we don't have the time, we don't have the money, or we don't have the right people. And so, if I'm going to go out and raise ten million dollars for my my in a Series A for my company that I'm starting up, uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. I'll spend some, but I won't spend a whole lot of time talking about quality. And then, to your point, John, as you go through the process and you get a product to market, you're certainly not going to spend time going back in time and correcting what you should have done right in the first place. You're going to keep going and getting to that next valuation jump, right? So it's not sexy. It's not fun to necessarily go back and do a remediation of a DHF or a you know um, adding to your risk file, but it sure does help with as we all know product quality, and it really helps in my opinion 
having done a lot of or been a part of a lot of deals, uh, M&A deals, it helps in the due diligence. Yeah. Because even if you don't think as a, as a business owner that it's terribly important at the beginning of the day, I can tell you that whoever is acquiring you or that technology is going to look hard at the quality documentation and the, the system and the way the product was designed to make sure that it doesn't have inherent risks that have just not bubbled to the surface yet. Yeah, I guess. I mean, so you, you do a lot of work and, and Capstone does a lot of work with pretty early stage companies, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the investor, uh, let me make sure I'm phrasing this properly, like friends and family um, type of investor is probably different level of sophistication versus an angel versus a VC. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there a particular type of investor that you see is today that's putting more emphasis uh, on on quality practices versus others? Or because I, I know once upon a time investors in this industry were largely uneducated about the regulations. I mean, they knew the thing FDA was out there, but they just knew about you know things like five ten Ks and PMAs and IDEs and that sort of thing. They didn't really know mm-hmm, about the, mm-hmm. the details. Do you feel like that like the, the the landscape is different today from an investor perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think the landscape is a bit different in that, and I think the strategics are really knowledgeable about it, and they have quality staff. The strategics that will be being part like of the, the the big the big companies companies acquirers. That, yeah, the big com- well, I mean, it doesn't have to be the biggest companies. I mean, I would say that the Tier one, two, and three, if you will, um, medical device companies uh, that have that have been around long enough to make the mistakes and then reap the you know what what's coming from those mistakes are the ones that usually are much more, I would say, careful in their due diligence about how a product was designed and documented. I think it's still a case where early stage investors, especially seed stage investors, because let's face it, a lot of friends and family don't know what the right questions are. Or they ask very superficial questions about quality, which are easy to brush off or sidestep. I think to a large extent, a lot of early stage investors are not as knowledgeable and don't ask as many questions about quality. I think certainly VC are going to ask the right questions in most cases. I think family offices, which we're seeing more now, are knowing at least enough to ask a question about it. How deep you go maybe is a different story. And again, I think there's a lot that early stage companies kind of not not a nefariously, but can kind of cover up or hide their mistakes by, you know, giving a few keywords like, hey, we're, we're FDA registered and we're, you know, ISO certified and we have a 510K, right? That covers a lot of sins. And so I think it depends on how deep you take that conversation. Um, but I think the, the strategic acquirers, the, you know, the med device companies that are looking to acquire technologies have been through this. They know what to ask for and they're going to dig deep. Yeah. There's a, I've I've mentioned this story a few times uh, on on the Global Medical Device Podcast, but it's still a good one and and appropriate for this conversation. There's a a guy I know, uh, his name is Ronnie Bracken. I I know it's a small world. You you may or may not know him, but either way, uh, Ronnie used to work in in M&A at one of the strategics, the the tier one type strategic. And he he would often tell a story about going in to evaluate some startups for p- potential acquisition. And he had an eye toward quality because, because, you know, when you're a tier one company, you are most definitely on the radar screen of regulatory bodies. You will be audited and inspected with uh, assured frequency. Um, 
but they would look at it at those uh, targets with with quality in mind, and they would ask questions about design history files and risk management and processes and procedures. And he said well, sometimes they get the deer in the headlights look from from the startup, and they didn't do anything. And he's like, well, that made his job mm-hmm. a lot easier because now he can come in and <laughs> sh- uh, reduce the valuation by a significant amount, you know. Yep. And, and I think that's yep. the thing that. Yep. that that a lot of those folks in that the apathy bucket from uh, knowing what to do may be saying, oh, that's not going to hurt me, right? Until it does, until you get to that point where you're ready. It to really will. Position. Yeah. Yeah the, two, yeah, the two things I think strategics are looking for, obviously, other than product fit, is how quickly can this get to market and I start to see you know, return on my investment and how much risk is inherent in taking it from where it is today to where I need it to be. And I can't tell you, I've seen multiple, multiple examples of the wrong way to do it, where the company, you know, even though we kind of just hammer it in that, you know, look, this is not just a, a cost to you. This is not a burden. Believe me, this will show in your valuation or not. And the valuation's been knocked down because it's been 12 months of due diligence because the quality documentation wasn't there where it was supposed to be. Yeah. So now instead of you know X, they're getting Y because there's a whole lot more risk. And so it's not just the cost of, hey, we got to create these quality documents. There's just this, you know, if, if, if your quality system's not buttoned up, these strategists are looking at you and they're not, they're, now they're a little unsure about everything you're telling them, right? Because yeah. they don't think you were really spot on in terms of the way you developed this device. But I, and I do think, it reflects negatively in value or it can reflect negatively in valuation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a good point for folks to, to, to hear on this is, you know, maybe everything you did is on the up and up. Maybe it is. Maybe your documentation isn't as thorough and robust as it could be. Maybe you didn't uh, codify the discovery, the learnings, the, the journey, if you will. And if acquiring a company is looking at you and doing their due diligence and you don't have that, that's, to John's point, that's that's now risk that they will assume, and and if they don't, if you don't have that, now it calls into question all the things that you did. Maybe some of the things exactly. that you did are now invalid because it wasn't codified. So I think it's a really important point for people to to keep in mind. John, I want to take a quick Absolutely. break. Uh, I want to remind everyone I'm talking with John uh, Capitan with uh, Capstone Medical. John, take a few moments and. Talk a little bit about the types of engagements and, and companies and, and products and services that you provide uh, to medical device companies. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. So I, I think at the core, you might say we're a product realization company. We do everything from engineering concept generation to full-blown engineering all the way through product development. Uh, we do regulatory work, regulatory submissions worldwide creation of quality systems and, and uh, as I mentioned before, remediation sometimes. We also have a subsidiary that does manufacturing. So we're contract manufacturing. We found that everything, of course, we design needs to be made. And there was a, a whole lot of reasons to try to bring everything in, in-house to make a single source. Uh, when I was out in industry and I was hiring people like me, I always found it very challenging to hire somebody in quality and somebody else in regulatory and somebody else in engineering and then what would inevitably happen is everybody would point fingers at each other because it's not my fault, it's theirs, right? So what I tried to do in creating Capstone Medical was to be a, a, a single source, uh, A to Z product realization provider for med device companies, whether it's a one or two person startup all the way up to the biggest companies in the industry. And then um, getting involved in the manufacturing of those uh, devices that we designed really takes it from beginning to end or cradle to grave, as you might say. 
I love that product realization. And folks, you can learn a lot more about Capstone Medical by visiting their website. It's Capstone Medical, all one word, capstone with a K, dot com. Check it out. I know there's a way to contact John and his team if you have further questions. So capstonemedical.com. I also want to take a moment to remind folks about some exciting things that we have going on at Greenlight Guru. Uh, Greenlight Guru, of course, is the only medical device success platform designed specifically and exclusively for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals that's, that's available today. And if you'd like to learn more about that platform, go to www.greenlight.guru. We've recently launched this exciting program called the Greenlight Guru Academy. And it's, you know, we have a lot of courses. Some of them are free, some of them are paid, uh, but there are uh, opportunities for you to learn and get some additional training on, on some key topics, such as design controls and risk management, regulatory submissions and audits and so on and so forth. So check it out, Greenlight Academy. It's a go at your own pace type of training opportunity, something that can augment and help you move yourself from not knowing to knowing, which is part of what John and I are talking a little bit about today. All right, so getting back to the conversation, uh, one of the things you said a moment ago sort of triggered a thought. And you know, we'll, we'll go back to your buckets of where people fall as far as the, uh, the, know, the knowing uh, category. Let's, I, I, another thing that I see, have seen quite often in my career is someone know, realizes they don't know. You know. They're ignorant about something. They know that they don't know, but they know that, that there's something out there. So one of the, the trends that I see is like, oh, well, I'm going to go find a, a person, a consultant. I'm going to find a consultant. I'm going to hire the person that's, and I'm a startup, but I'm going to hire a person that's retiring from, from one of the, the top tier med device companies. And I, 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 <laughs> no disrespect, but you know, I'm going to hire a Medtronic guy or a Boston Scientific guy or a J&J guy or gal. Uh, I'm going to hire them to come in and help set up my quality system. I heard your chuckle, so I'm curious what what additional reaction do you have to that? No, I was I'm, was laughing because I was going to bring that up if you didn't, uh, because I think there is a right way and a wrong way to implement quality in any organization, and since the theme today seems to be around the startups and and, and young young companies, um, I have seen too many times where you get one of those seasoned you know individuals from one of the big companies. And again, I won't name names because I think they're, they're excellent at what they do, but yeah. the system that they came from does, does not fit the system they're going to. And so what happens is they, they come in with blinders on that quality must be done this way. And they put a stranglehold on a young company who's trying to get to market as quickly as possible, doing the right thing, but they don't have to do way over the right thing in order to really make maximum use of their resources. And so I think one of the things I was going to say, I hope it's not heresy on this podcast, is there's a real chance of overemphasizing or at least wrongly implementing quality uh, relative to the size of the company. Let's face it, young companies who are especially pre-revenue, pre-commercialization, don't need all of the bells and whistles and the big system that, that a more established company needs. And so I'm a huge fan of prag, pragmatic approaches, right? To look at a problem, you know, it's a business problem with patients in mind, you know, and, and we've got to solve this problem. And, and, and it could be, hey, we need a quality system. It could be, let's get a few procedures in place and start, start yeah. thinking quality 
before we add on all of these extra pieces, you know, layers and pieces and personnel. Because at the end of the day, you could run yourself right out of business with the most beautiful quality system in the world that then tells, you know, runs the company versus the company running it. And I think that's a mistake I've seen, you know, way too often, unfortunately. Yeah. So in, in what we do in creating quality systems is we generally do it modularly. We and I, and I know that you do the same at Greenlight, right? You start with a core, yeah. whether you call it the starter package or the beginner package or whatever you call it, and then you add on as the needs arise. You don't need A to Z at, right at the beginning. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I think that this is a side effect in some respects of, of why some people in the industry or even those entering the industry view quality as, as a pejorative because they hear these stories about, um, you know, the consultant and, or the this or the that. And somebody was hell-bent on building this, this super robust quality system uh, at pre-revenue that was designed for the largest of large companies for this little tiny uh, small company, and it brought them to their knees, and they just couldn't survive. Yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, just a little story here. When I, I was part of a four person company years ago, this was before I started Capstone. And, um, you know, I was, it was early in my days of quality and I was gung ho, right? So we hired a consultant. I mean, literally just what you said. We spent, this is a paper based system long before we had Greenlight, right? We spent over $100,000 writing, hiring a consultant to write procedures, implement, train, you name it, four people. And it was way, at the end of the day, way more than we needed. It was not a good decision. So yes, we were all about quality. We wanted the right thing. You know, we wanted to do the right thing. And we ended up spending way too much money on a, on a system that was way too complicated that, that at the end of the day was, um, was very ham. We were hamstrung by it. Yeah. And so you know, learning those lessons teaches us all a lot of things. And I think one of them is to be, to be efficient, to be pragmatic. Um, and to understand compliance and, verse, and the, the must-haves versus the nice-to-haves. And, yeah. uh, and so that's, I think, the key. Yeah, I, I totally agree with the, the whole modular approach. I mean, it, it, in fact, it's, it's dogma, at least in my, in my way of thinking about this. Uh, I, I think, you know, and I've been that guy. I've been, uh, like you, I, I've implemented quality systems at companies uh, or a received quality system uh, full before it was needed in many cases. I mean, if I'm if I'm still you know pre revenue and I I haven't done a regulatory submission, I'm still in the in the in the depths of design and development. I mean, there's probably four things I need to focus on: design controls, risk, document management, and probably supplier management. Maybe there are a few others you could argue, but nonetheless, you don't need all of it. Just focus on that. No, no. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And, and the rest will come. It, you know, it's much better to focus on a few things and actually do them than to get a whole big system you're never going to use. Because that's the other problem I've seen. People invest in big systems. They put it, you know, in the, in the archive file and never dust it out again until they have an audit. And that's, yeah. of course, a horrible way to go about doing it. Absolutely. Um, John, as we kind of wrap things up today, any, any practical tips, pointers, um, themes, trends, things that, you know, gotchas that, that you want to share with the listening audience today? Uh, you know, it probably goes without saying, but I think having somebody on your team, whether that is an internal person or a consultant that, that has kind of been there and done that is absolutely critical. I mean, we, you know, we, we make sure we do that in startups with a financial position. We make sure we do that, of course, with a CEO and the sales position, but that's often overlooked in the quality regulatory area. 
yes. uh, to really have somebody who's it's not the same as just reading whatever the current regulation is and, and believing you can you can uh, you can get by. So somebody that has made mistakes because I've made more than my fair share and learned a whole lot, um, and and somebody that can really champion quality and I'll say quality and regulatory within the organization is key. Um, I think the other thing about it is just is just you know make sure it's part of the discussion, right? Make sure it's part of the discussion with investors, with um, the management team, with anybody that you work with outside, because I think for the most part we all want to do the right thing. Again, it's not a nefarious thing. You want to do the wrong thing and hurt people. We want to do the right thing, but there's limits on time. There's limits on, on, on all of our resources. And so at the end of the day, it's always about prioritizing what we spend time thinking about, what we talk about and what we invest in. And so I think, um, again, just kind of recapping, having a person on the team, whether it's internal, or external, that has the experience, even just to guide that person doesn't have to implement a whole quality system or anything like that, but but to kind of guide and 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 show where the pitfalls you know may be is 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 incredibly important. I think having an appreciation you know for quality and its impact on on valuation. We talked about that earlier, positively or negatively, you know. And I think just talking about it, making it a part of your of your language. At the end of the day, like I said, it it's, it starts with common sense, and it starts with good decision making. And I think you can do a lot with just some basic building blocks in place. To- totally agree, I, and I would encourage. Uh, folks listening, regardless of where you are in your journey, that you know, hopefully you, you've made the right investment in, in quality and regulatory and, and systems and so on. But if you haven't, it's not too late. You can still do that. You know, don't just say, "Oh, well, I guess we'll do that the next time we go do this." You still have that opportunity, and and there's resources out there. You know, whether you use uh, um, the products and services that we have at Greenlight Guru. Or you you reach out to to John and the Capstone Medical Team, or some other option. Just do you know what's right. You know, there's no really there's no excuse for you not knowing or at least not doing something about this because you are a medical device company. Uh, there are rules to Absolutely. play in this game, and it just makes good business sense because at the end of the day, what if your product was used on on your your child or your your uh, your parent? or a grandparent or, you know, aunt or uncle, you have to keep that in mind. I think as a medical device professional, the quality of life is really important. Absolutely. You know, I, I just to recap, you know, I think apathy is, you know, unfortunately that's kind of part of the world we live in, but it's not a good excuse yeah. for not doing something. And so even a small step is better than no step at all. Absolutely. John, thank you so much. I, I, I love having these conversations and uh, look forward to having an opportunity to, to chat with you again real soon. Uh, folks, John Capitan with Capstone Medical, capstonemedical.com. Again, with a K, K-A-P-S-T-O-N-E-M-E-D-I-C-A-L. I spell that right, right? Uh, .com. There you go. <laughs> uh, check it out. And as, as always, thank you for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. And now, you know, you can watch the Global Medical Device Podcast. I guess I should have mentioned that at the beginning. So um, hopefully uh, you check that out. It's going to be on YouTube and all the places you can watch podcasts these days. If you just prefer to, to stick your earbuds in while you're out walking the dog or running on the beach or whatever the case may be, you can still listen to us too, so that's fine. Uh, but as always, thank you so much for being listeners and, and keeping the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's the number one podcast in the medical device in- industry. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I hope you all have a terrific day. Thank you. <laughs>